This is not a good time to make you all hungry, so apologize for that. So glad you're here. Um, next Sunday, we'll, for, we'll um, finish the TGIM Thank God It's Monday series. Your attitude may be TGIO, thank God it's over, all right? But we've got one more week to do this, and next week's going to be super special. We've got Earl Lavender, Rob Touchstone, whose life work at Lipscomb University is preparing people to live out their faith in their workplace. They'll be with us during Sunday worship, a special Bible class, and also Sunday evening. So please make plans to be here. Now today... Jesus is going to challenge us to be great. You know, when, when someone's born, we, we sort of come out of the womb desiring to be great. Our children will always say that they want to be a policeman or a fireman or just someone who makes a difference. Or they want to be a superhero like Superman. And my grandkids now don't get it, but now they're into being ninja turtles, all right? And, and I think they have some kind of desire to, to eradicate evil. But what I'm trying to say is there, there's an inner part of our DNA that says we want to be great. And even in your workplace, you should have a desire to be great. But there's a problem here in that Satan twists that desire to be great to a desire to be seen as great. The desire to serve to the desire to be served, the desire to save the world and make a difference to the desire to have the world for myself. And so when that that legitimate desire to be great is twisted, it ends up coming up empty. Uh, The cultural pop, pop icon Madonna writes this about her life. Listen, I have an iron will. And all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage of it. And I'm mediocre and I think I'm uninteresting again and again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I become somebody, I still have to prove to somebody my struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. I wish Madonna were here to hear this message, because God would say it can end, because everything Madonna is explaining to us there is greatness based on competition and comparison. And and, and when you do that, you never come up completely feeling good about yourself. Now, today, we're going to get some help from Jesus because we're not the first people to struggle with wanting to be great in the wrong way. In fact, there are two times in Jesus' story with his disciples that they are actually arguing about who's the greatest. In both times, Jesus teaches us some things that we need to hear. Start with me in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. It says this, they went to Capernaum. When Jesus was in the house, he asked them, what are you arguing about on the road? I always love this. Do you recognize reading the Gospels that Jesus can read minds? 
And so he can read their mind. He can even overhear their conversation. And, you know, I'm sure they tried to stay back from him when they argued about it. But Jesus heard it, and Jesus nails them. They, they don't even respond because they know they're guilty. But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Can you imagine that conversation? Uh, the apostle John says, hey, guys, it's obviously me. I'm Jesus' best friend. And Peter says, no. Every time he makes a list of us, I'm on top. And then James says, but Peter, you're the one who sunk in the water. And Peter says, well, at least I walked for five minutes. You never did that. And then even Judas might have popped up and say, it's obvious I'm the greatest. I'm the treasurer. So they're arguing about this thing. And Jesus says, guys, I want to give you a couple of pictures that will help you. Look at verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first, it sounds crazy, must be last the servant of all. In, in the gospel of Matthew, it says, whoever wants to become great among you, listen, must be your servant. So here's what Jesus says. You want to be great? To be great in Jesus' estimation is to be a servant. That's so contradictory to the way they thought, the way we think. Listen, the word servant in the New Testament literally meant waiter. It's waiting on somebody else. So when you go to lunch today and, you know, somebody helps you, you might say, you've been a, a great waitress. And not only do I think this, but Jesus thinks that. Because what you do is great. Because let's, let's boil this down more specific. A servant exists to make other people's lives better. Say that with me out loud. A servant exists to make other people's lives better. Don't complicate this. It's just me being in a position, you being in a position where I can improve somebody's life in some way. Now, this was unheard of in Jesus' day. A fairly contemporary philosopher, you've probably heard of him, named Plato said this. How can man be happy when he has to serve other people? He's like, that's not the way to happiness. The way to happiness is to let other people serve you. And Jesus says the exact opposite. Then he says, okay, guys, if you're not getting what I'm saying, let me give you a couple of pictures that might help. First of all, Mark 9, 36. He took a little child while he was among them, Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Picture number one, a child in Jesus' arms. Why is that a great picture? Because when you hold a child, when you take care of a child, you serve those who can't serve you in return. In Jesus' day, they did not have a big, big view of children. Abortion was rampant in the Roman Empire. Even infanticide, you didn't like your kid, just throw them out in the woods. People did not treat children the way we, did, we do. Somebody said, now we have kindergarten, <laughs> we, we let children rule the roost and everything. But in Jesus' day, they're like, man, Children don't count, even Jesus' disciples. You probably remember another picture where Jesus is handling a baby and his disciples are 
frustrated with him and say, Jesus, you're just wasting time here, man. We need to be out teaching someone. And Jesus says, no, guys, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. So, guys, the people back in the nursery today keeping our children right now, they're not going to get some big reward. No, no little babies and slip them a $5 bill at the end of nursery, right? They won't even get a simple thank you. But Jesus says, that's greatness. And where you work, it's one thing to serve people who can give you a raise. It's one thing to serve people who can give back to you. It's Jesus-like to serve someone who can't give back. And then Jesus gives another very simple, powerful picture. Verse 41, truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. What's this picture? A cup is one gospel says of cold water. God blesses even the smallest act of service. Because here's the bad thing about greatness in our culture is sometimes we think I, I get to a level where certain things are beneath me, okay? I, I, I've run into this as a preacher. I remember going to church one time and we're getting ready for an event and I was just setting up chairs. And if you've ever been to the ministry, man, if you got a dollar for every chair you set up, you'd be super rich. And so we're just, we're just setting up chairs and I go back to my office and the secretary says, I can't believe you were setting up chairs. I said, well, of course, I've done it my whole life. She says, the minister before you said that was beneath him. And guys, what Jesus is saying is no matter how small it is, it's not beneath us. And in fact, the people who make our lives better are worthy of great rewards. The person who picks up the trash on your street twice a week in Montgomery, sorry, Pike Road, you only get it once, twice a week in Montgomery, that person, we got something on you guys, that person is rewarded by God. The mother who stays home with the mundane work of feeding and clothing and changing diapers, the mechanic who fixes your car, the person who does your dry cleaning, Jesus says these people all get great rewards because they make your life better. Okay, so Jesus tries to get this point through right pretty close to the beginning of his ministry. But then at the end of his ministry, these dudes are still arguing about who's the greatest. They don't get it. They're like us. They're hard-headed. Listen to Luke chapter 22, verse 24. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. They're at it again. Come on. Now this time, I want you to really watch closely what Jesus does. In, in fact, if you're new to Christianity, you're about to have a blast. If you've been in this thing for a while, like me, I forget what a radical story I'm about to share with you. I mean, I'm about to show you a picture of God no one could have ever dreamed of. A picture of God that should literally blow your mind. So please try to listen to this like you hadn't heard it before. Here's Jesus' response to their argument about greatness. Here's the picture. Verse 1, John 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come to him to leave this world and to go to the Father. This is the very end, guys. 
He's at the shadow of the cross. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's a beautiful phrase there. Loved them to the end. It can be translated one of two ways. Like time-wise, he loved them to the very end of his life. Or quality-wise, some translations say, he showed them the full extent of his love. So Jesus wants to express his love. Watch what happened. The evening meal was in progress. They're eating. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now watch this, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father who put all things under his power, he'd come from God, he was going back to God. Jesus is completely secure in who he is. Remember what we said last Sunday? You're never going to be who you ought to be at work or family or anywhere else until you've received your identity in Christ. Jesus had that identity. And that brings us to a powerful two-letter word. The next word is so. Circle that. So. Jesus, knowing who he was, is able now to do something we would have never guessed. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer garment, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He's become completely vulnerable. Takes his clothes off, brings a towel, and then he poured water in a basin. Hope you've never heard this before. He began to wash his disciples' feet. Drying them with a towel that was wrapped around. Jesus is washing their feet. You're kidding me. You see, guys, in this day, if you had a slave, they would wash feet. But why, why are they washing feet? It's not some religious observant. It's because you're clean, and yet when you walk in sandals every day on dusty, unpaved road, your feet become very dirty. And so before you lay down around a table with your feet in front of somebody else, you wash them. These guys are in the middle of the meal, and nobody did it. Well, of course they didn't. They're arguing about who's the greatest. They're looking across the table thinking, of course it's not me. I'm the greatest. When's one of you going to get up and do it? And then they're completely blown away when the one who actually gets up to wash dirty, stinking feet is the Son of God. And so Jesus washes them. And even they know this is a crazy picture. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Now watch Peter. No, said Peter. You will never, double negative here, you will never, never wash my feet. Of course, Peter's going, this is crazy. Jeez, there ain't feet washing going on around here. It needs to be us with you. I mean, think about who you are. You're embarrassing yourself. You're absolutely embarrassing yourself. I'm embarrassed for you to wash my feet. Then Jesus comes about really strong. Then Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Okay, Peter, you got to let me do this or you're, you're out of here. Now, Peter, do you ever, raise your hand if you ever wish Peter would keep his mouth shut. Okay? You ought to raise your hand here because this is one of the most embarrassing things he ever says. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter says, if, you know, if this is such a big deal, Jesus, give me a bath. And I'm so embarrassed for Jesus. This shouldn't have to be in the Bible. Then Jesus has to say, Peter, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. <laughs> in other words, you've had a bath, dude. You just got your feet dirty. 
And then Jesus goes deep on him. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Okay, now is the sermon time. What do you say, Jesus? Do you guys understand what I've done for you? You, you guys who want to prove that you're the greatest, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should, ooh, they don't like this, you should wash one another's feet. And then in the conclusion of the story, he says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So what's this picture? Service is the greatest expression of love. Words are wonderful, but the greatest expression that you love someone is that you're willing to make their life better. You're willing to serve. I want you to notice some things just real quickly here. First of all, notice who served. I mean, that, that, that's what stands out here. It's God. Come on. It's God serving. Notice how he served. Again, no one would have ever dreamed of an almighty God coming to the earth, making himself vulnerable, getting on his knees, scrubbing dirty feet. I mean, in our day, we had showed the picture and we'd had the caption, what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong is God shouldn't be doing that. But also notice who he served. If you keep reading the chapter, we're going to find out that Peter is going to deny he even knows Jesus, and yet he washes his feet. If that blows your mind, who else's feet does Jesus wash here? Somebody smart enough? Say, Judas. Say it with me. Judas. Judas is going to betray him to death. Now, I heard some brother say the other day, I thought it was a brilliant point I'd never thought of. Guys, Judas betrays Jesus, not because he wanted him dead, because I think Judas is trying to force Jesus' hand to overcome and overthrow the Romans. And, and so he's thinking, Jesus, he sees this picture. He says, this is crazy. This is not the Messiah I'm following. The Messiah I'm following is a warrior king. He's not down washing feet. And like one brother said the other night, this may have been the final thing that drove Judas over the edge. Because after this, he goes and turns Jesus in. So look who he served. He washes Judas's feet knowing he's going to betray him. And just notice when he served. I mean, he's about to go to the cross. My friends, listen to me. If ever Jesus could have called a time out and said, guys, I'm about to die for you guys. I'm so sick of you arguing about who's the greatest. Could I just think about myself for a moment? Could I, could I just, I got to prepare myself for the cross, man. I mean, can I just be selfish for just a second? No, right then. And so I challenge you, when do you need to serve? Where do you need to serve? Who do you need to serve? When you think about where you show up on Monday, whether it's in your home with a little baby or at your workplace or at a factory or at a school, who is it you need to serve this way? See, a lot of times we hear a lesson like this and we quickly jump to, okay, I, I, that, that makes sense. I love that. I'd like to be. So I need to go into the ministry. I, 
Some of you might need to, but that's not really the calling. I want you to look at a passage, 1 Corinthians 7, 11, where Paul says, no, first place you start is where you are. Listen to this. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord's assigned to him, just as God has called them. You see, in the first century, you got all these people becoming Christians. Some of them have mates that aren't Christians. Some of them are working in pretty rough work situations. And so they're deciding, you know what? Uh, Now that I'm a Christian, if my mate won't become a Christian, I need to divorce her. Or I I don't need to go back to that workplace. And, And what Paul says is, no, wherever you are called, stop right there and serve. And so my challenge, Jesus' challenge to you is to serve where you are. You are in the ministry wherever you go tomorrow. Now, I've got somebody that's going to help us out with this this morning. I'm asking Allison Geis if she'd come join me on stage. Many of you know Allison. Allison grew up in this church. She's been an incredible leader for a long time. And um, I I picked Allison today because, number one, I've heard enough stories about the way she serves. But number two, she works in a profession that I think it would be easy not to serve. She's a a CPA, and she's an investment advisor at a big company downtown called Jackson Thornton. So, Allison, before we get into some of the questions about serving, what would make it really easy just to go to work? I figure you've probably got a nice office. And just shut your door and not fool with people, okay? What would make that tempting? And I think, first of all, we're a very uh, deadline-driven industry, so mm. there's, you know, always a deadline, and um, sometimes it's easy just to put your head down and try and get the work done and check off your to-do list. Um, it also can be very competitive, um, and you can easily get focused on your career path and, and advancement. Um, and then, truly, I think most accountants are more introverted, and we joke about it, but I think we're perfectly happy just to be in our office, shut the door, and make spreadsheets yeah. and not deal with the drama outside our door. Well, you, you threw in a couple of things we've talked about today. Competition. Right. And, you know, it'd be so easier. You might think some of the time you're taking here might take away from getting the work done. So, so what motivates you to serve? And I, I know the other day when we were talking, you mentioned three specific areas that you feel like God's called you to serve at work. Right. Um, and I would say that, you know, among coworkers... Um, with a particular group, which is moms, and also with our clients. And, you know, I was just kind of making a list of people that have modeled this for me and um, things that I've tried to pay forward and those um, actions that they've demonstrated. The first is a man named Ed. He was the man that hired me and trained me, and he was just a a great leader, great person. And the thing that I think um, he did the best was just connecting and caring about people um, on a very personal level. He would... um, just come in your office and ask questions about you know, your family or your interests outside yeah. of work. And he didn't have an agenda, really. He just was curious about you and he cared. And I think that is so important because it's hard to know how you can serve people if you don't really know them. Um, it's easy just to have superficial relationships of, hey, how are you? But he would take it a step further. Um, another thing that he would do is he would come by before he left for the day and ask, you know, what can I do for you so that you can go home? Um, and, wow. and if he couldn't really help with the work, then he would go grab dinner if we were going to work late um, and do things like that. So um, he was a great example. Um, I think when I became a mom, which just a quick shout out to Layla, that was 14 years ago today. Wow. So today's her today. birthday. Yeah. Um, 
But you know, that just throws a whole another wrinkle in work life and it's hard to juggle. So I had some women that really ministered to me and um, showed me how to care for other moms. I think about Renee who would leave little scripture cards or encouraging notes on my desk. She could sense if I was stressed and that sort of thing. Um, she would take me to lunch, let me ask questions. Um, she would give advice and it's things that I have, I've repeated those same things to so many women. Um, I think about Aiden who would stop by Starbucks and grab an extra coffee and just kind of look around the office and see who needed it the most that day um, and, and give that. That's something anybody could do. And then uh, Leanne, she would let me come in her office and, and cry when I was <laughs> overwhelmed, which sadly to say was a lot sometimes. But, um, but, you know, she would encourage me and say, you can do this and um, build me up. And that's something that I really wanted to pay for to other people because not everybody has an office. So knowing that they have a safe place to come and shut the door and cry or vent or, you know, whatever will make them feel better. Um, and then we, we actually have a little mom's group that our goal is not to miss any field trips or activities with our kids. So if you signed up for something and something comes up, then we'll take turns so that we don't miss out on that. So just kind of serving each other um, that way. And, you know, then with our clients, um, I think there's a lot of emotion tied up in financial, you know, issues. And um, we have the ability to really serve people in that way. And a great example um, is Rita that I worked with for several years. She, um, especially with women, maybe that were recently divorced or lost a spouse and they're facing something they've never had to deal with before. And it can be scary. And, you know, she could easily have just given them a list of things that they needed to, you know, check off. But she would sit down and make phone calls with them to, you know, get utilities changed over. She would go to their house and help them sort through documents. Um, and just really hold their hand and walk through um, through that with them. So I thought that was really beautiful. You know, Allison, this is exactly why I wanted you on stage today because I knew you would come from a women's perspective, specifically a women's perspective with children. And, and one thing that's come up in our prayer time every Sunday has been just the challenge to balance that, which so many people in this um, worship center facing today. So Let's go back to what we're talking about today just for a moment. How does the example of Jesus motivate you? Right. Um, so going back to Ed, um, thinking about some of the traits, you know, the firm created an award for him just to honor him and to have others carry on his legacy. And there's a, you know, a nomination form that has the traits that we're looking for that you know, he displayed. And those are an encourager, a mentor, a cheerleader, a teacher, an unselfish teammate, a motivator and servant leader, which I think is probably the most important on that list. And, you know, as great as Ed was, he wasn't perfect. And, you know, these behaviors weren't his original idea. Jesus was the originator of all of these, all of these behaviors. Um, I think what I love about Jesus is that he took the time to see people. Um, he loved them. And so he did what needed to be done to show that love. And like you mentioned earlier, he never felt too good for any task. He just did what needed to be done. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately we all want to be seen and heard and cared for, and that's what he did. So I think that's the example that we follow. I want to stop here for a second because Allison didn't know I knew this. But the man she's talking about over and over, his name was Ed Sauls. And in 2018, they gave the first Ed Sauls Ovation Award to the person who matched that description. Did a little research. You guys watch out. I know what you're doing at work. But I did a little, re <laughs> did a little research and found out in 2018, the first recipient of that award was Allison. Let's give her a hand. Thank you. 
You can thank Brian Davis for that, okay? (laughs) So, final question. Um, What's the blessing of being a servant at work? I think it's the relationships. I think all those little things you do for people, just they build a relationship that's real and affirms just a foundation that when something happens in life, they know who they can come to. And I guess when I think about what does the end look like for me when I retire, it's going to be those relationships that I built. The way I treated people is what's really going to have mattered. Well, isn't that interesting? Everybody always says at the end of life, what really matters is the relationship. You're in a a very, very uh, high-powered job, and yet thank God that you are being like Jesus. So, guys, give give Allison a hand. Thank her for sharing. Thank you very much. Thank you. So one more picture uh, I'd like to give real quickly, Um, and this is the ultimate picture of servant, and it's a picture of Jesus on the cross. I mean, the foot washing scene is pretty radical. The cross is even crazier. And listen to what the Scripture says, for even the Son of Man, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The greatest proof of that is he gave his life for you and I. And that's why I love what we're doing right now in communion. And if you're new with us, there are tables all around the worship center. You can go get your communion emblems. You can go take it by yourself or gather with somebody and pray. This is meant to be a communion of all of us. But what I would like to challenge you and I to do in this moment, I'd like you to, first of all, just think about What a servant God we serve. You know, there's a lot of times it's hard to live for God, but when I see a God who washes feet, and when I see a God who dies on a cross with people mocking him, I I just can't turn away from that. And so be thankful for that. And then as you think about that, I'd like you also to think a little further is in what situation, where on Monday morning are you going to land Please be seated. Wow, in light of the pictures we've seen, all hail King Jesus. He is truly the greatest, isn't he? Now this morning I want to get practical as we close out some application points. If you're looking for a place to serve, first of all, before we get back to work, I want to talk about here in this church. We've got some great opportunities You've heard earlier about the Thanksgiving meal and the bed goods do an amazing job, but they can't do it by themselves. It's hard to feed four or 500 people and, and carry that load. So there's a little sign up sheet in your copy of Lifelines. Please check some boxes where you can come help them in doing that. And then coming up in just two weeks is what we call Serve Together Weekend, which is one of the greatest weekends we have as a church. On that Saturday morning, uh, we have an opportunity to go to one of the most impoverished areas of town where we partner with the inner city church to serve that neighborhood. There's another little sheet in your lifelines for that. We need as many, we need at least 150 of us down there that morning. You know, if you're new here to Landmark, boy, this would be a great opportunity to go serve side by side with somebody in a really easy way, in a real blessed way. And then that Sunday, November the 5th, It's one of the most important Sundays that we have all year long because on that Sunday, we will sign up for service in this church for the year 2024. You also will make your giving commitment for the new year. Because this has been one of the most exciting years we've ever had of welcoming new people and starting new ministries. 
But what it means is we need everybody, everybody, I'm talking to you, everybody to be a part of that. And so that Sunday is going to give us the opportunity in one day to say, here's what we're going to do in a new year. That's a great way to serve here in this church. But going back to work before we close, I think we got to deal with a modern heresy, which is your work is something you do to simply obtain money and leisure. In other words, the only reason I work is to support my family, to make some money, and to work for the weekends or work for a vacation. There's such a limited view of work, and yet many of us have bought that. What needs to be confronted is that fact with Jesus is truth we've learned today. Your work is something you do to serve God and others. When you go to work tomorrow, it's not just about getting the paycheck, not just about earning some time off. It's about serving. Allison's given us such a beautiful example. No matter what your job looks like, if you'll just open your life up, there are people all around you who, it may not be something radical, it might be a cup of coffee, or as Jesus said, a cup of cold water. Just anything you could do to make somebody's life better around you. And so here, here's what I want to ask as we close. Do you need an adjustment in your view of work? I mean, th- this is rather challenging, I think, what we've seen here. And I don't mind challenging you here because here's what I know. If you would accept the challenge of Jesus, you'd be a whole lot happier than you are at work right now. Because right now, if you're just doing it for what you can get or what people can give you or for recognition, that may come up empty. You can't control how other people treat you, but you can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, control how you treat other people. You can serve whether they serve you or not. And God will bless you. I'm not saying that's easy, but God will bless you. Here's what Jesus said. Verse we looked at, John 13, verse 17. Now that you know these things... That to be great is to serve. If you do them, here's what one translation says, you will be happy. Do you believe that? Now this morning, if you need an adjustment, can I get some of the elders and their spouses? Josh, you and Kristen would come down here. Jason, if you'd come here. All the other, poor Al has got his Achilles injured. Raise your hand, Al, so they can see where you are. Some of the other shepherds, if you guys had spread out in the back. Here's what I'm, I'm saying today is if, if, if you need this adjustment, this is a, just an easy way. Go to one of these couples. There's the Praters. There's the Arringtons back there. There's the Kirklands. And we got lots of fun. Just go to one of these couples and say, hey, work's been tough. My attitude's not been the best. And man, I'm convicted by what Jesus said. Just, just allow them on the spot to pray for you before you go back to school or go back in your home with all those children or go back to where you work, just, just some prayers. So we're going to open that opportunity. If you want the whole church to pray for you or if you're ready to be baptized and surrender your life to Jesus because of your faith in him, just come right now while we stand and sing.